0: We're going to do a few things that are different today than you might normally do, but it, it works in relation to what we're going to be talking about today. So I want to make sure that, that everyone has a writing utensil, a pen, or a pencil um, to be able to write some things down. So if, if ushers can sort of help with that um, in the next few minutes. Just want to make sure that we have opportunity, because one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is, is an area where I'm sure, if I, and when I'm saying this, all of us have, are in this space have been in this space, or you will be in this space. You're asking for something from God, and he hasn't provided it yet. You're asking for God to change something, and the change hasn't come. And you're still asking. So we're all in those spaces. We've been in those spaces. We are in that space, or we will be in that space. Where God will put us in in moments and we'll be asking and we won't be seeing the answers. And so today, what I want us to do is to understand how God has hope for us in that space. How we learn to find love and joy in that space. But we live in the midst of the world that doesn't want us to find hope and help in the midst of these spaces because of two things. So the first thing we have to be aware of is we live in a culture amidst the noise and the now. The noise and the now. You understand that in the midst of what we're facing, there's always something pressing to be done. Or we have phones or internet or TV or messages or music that are always just pressing in on us. There is noise all around us. Always, wherever we're going. It's difficult for us to hear ourselves think because we know there are just so many things going on in our life, things we need to do, places we need to be, conversations we need to be a part of, music we want to hear, shows we need to catch up on, the news that we need to stay current on, all these things pressing in on us again and again. We are surrounded by the noise. But not only is it noise that we find ourselves living amongst that causes the struggle in us being able to embrace what God has for us today, but it's also the culture of the now. In fact, if we're really honest, it's more like the culture of yesterday. We need something yesterday, right? We live in a culture that constantly tells us that what you need, you need it right away. The microwave oven was the introduction of us trying to move into spaces of getting things to become easier. When an upgrade comes in a phone, we need it right away. When We want the email. We want our internet to be as fast as possible. We want stuff right away. We need it at our fingertips at a moment's notice. This is the culture we live in constantly, that we constantly think that everything we need, we need it right away. The noise and the now. Pressing in on us again and again. This is the air we breathe as we step out into the world every day. But in the midst of this, in the midst of this, God has something to say. God has something to say. So we have to form countercultural practices in our life that help us understand that there's noise that we need to push away and not everything happens right away. There's noise that we need to push away, and not everything happens right away. And so if we want to live in the good of this, if we want to trust that God has a better way for us in the midst of the life that he has for us, we need to have countercultural practices, practices that help us understand and celebrate a different way that God has for us. Because that's the, the air we breathe, is the noise and the now. And so together, we're going to look at a text. and If you haven't already, you can turn with me to Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is going to teach us today about how we find hope in the holdup. Find hope in the holdup. I'm going to pray for us, and then we can dig into our text together. Jesus, we, we've, we've already been blessed. We've already been filled to rejoice in singing songs about you that are true. These are truths about you, our shepherd, who promises to guide us. We have heard testimony of people that have been rejoicing and celebrating your faithfulness. We have been reminded of the many hands that make light work, that, that make Recovery House what it is, a place of service and love for others. Father, we've been blessed already. But as we turn now to your word, I pray that you'd help us to hear from you. And I pray that it would not just be information that would make us smart. I pray that it would be truths from the one who knows us best, who has made us, that would change us as we receive from you and then take it and put it into practice in the strength you provide. All of this we want because... We want more of you, and we pray that you teach us and lead us now. More than anything I say, Father, I pray that, Jesus, you'd be magnified and that your word would be clear and that we'd celebrate who you are and what you've done. We thank you for all this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. How do we find hope in the holdup? In the distance between the ask and the answer, right? We are in those spaces all the time, right? We are asking God to do something, and we're not seeing the answer yet. We are asking for change. We are pleading with God for the change, and we're not yet seeing what we're asking for. How do we find hope in the holdup? If you have the section of scripture that we're looking at today, it's important we see what's happening as this author is laying out for us in the scriptures what's happening. And it says in verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. You see, we're not good at being patient because of the culture we live in. We have this noise that constantly is filling our minds with all sorts of other messages, all sorts of other things. And then we're also in this culture that says, I need everything right away. And God is not about the right away. I don't know if you know this, but God is not about the right away. He's about character formation. And character can't be rushed. Character can't be rushed. There is no magic pill for learning patience. And so we have to know what it means to find hope in the holdup. We have to wait patiently. How do we learn to wait patiently? What does it mean for us to embrace the holdup? This waiting season between what we really want, often good things, the distance between that asking and the answer from God. The first is the waiting and the silence help reveal what we trust. It reveals what we trust. Because what's happening in the waiting is it's revealing things about us. It's revealing things about us. Learning about the silence and the waiting, is it uncovers what we trust. We're, we're starting to understand as we're waiting, there's things about us that are being uncovered. There's things about us that we start to see. The first is what we trust. In the holdup, we learn what we trust. When things go bad, where do we go? What do we look to? What do we hold on to? When things are hard, when things going, aren't going way, where we we're in trouble, what do we trust in? My wisdom, my plan, my strength substances, friends. not Some of these things aren't bad things, but these are not the place we find lasting hope. We're going to go to how we find that in a minute. But first we have to understand, again, we have to learn to silent the noise to hear what we really want. And often what we want is other things. Other things. We, waiting is hard... And we often short circuit God's plan, his timing for lesser hopes. See, in verse 4, when it says that he does not look to the proud, that word means many more things. The Hebrew word is very, language is very poetic. And so it, it means various things. But one of the things it talks about this idea of the sea monster. Because we just want, what we want is something that will just fix us or that will get rid of the mess. Something that will just devour all of our problems. Something that will just get rid of all the troubles. But God often doesn't work that way. We want the quick fix. We want the right answer. You see, when we're in trouble, what we want sometimes is we go to the people that just tell us what we want to hear. We just want the person that's going to tell us what we want to hear. You're right to be angry. You should get what you want. This is not your fault. What do we trust in these moments? Do we trust what we want to hear? What we think is right? How we think it should work? How our timing ought to be in this situation? The hold up reveals what we trust. You see, I think I know how to fix it. I think I know what works best. I think I know how this ought to go. But God's like, nah. I got a new song. I got a new song. It's not the same old song and dance that you keep settling for. It's a new song. He put a new song in my mouth. But I have to slow down and be quiet enough to hear the new melody that God wants to bring into that situation. Am I settling for the same old, same old in these situations, trusting in what I think is right and what I think it should look like and how I think it should go? Or am I listening for the new song? But I have to get rid of the noise and I have to be still and I have to wait because it's hard to hear and it's hard to see when I'm so busy filling my mind and moving forward. The hold up reveals what we trust. Because it's like being put in situations, we often aren't really in a place to, re- to know what we trust until we're in places where we don't have anything else. For me, I'm in these situations often when I'm speaking and leading and in situations where I'm a visible minority, right? I'll go to tenant meetings and to, uh, to, 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 j- to jails and I'll go to space and I'm very clearly the minority in these moments. And so I think I know the right thing to say I think I know how this ought to work. I think I know what this looks like. If I'm just resting in my wisdom and my plan and how I think it ought to work, I'm probably making it worse. Because the people that are in the situation know far better than me how it ought to work. And I have to be willing to put in those situations where I just can't trust my wisdom. The way I look at this, the way I think things ought to go, is probably not the way it ought to be. And it has to be in those situations where you're going into, into places where you don't have anything else but God. Because we can so easily grab onto other things, right? We can functionally live like we don't need God because we can trust in a phone or money or friends. We can functionally live like I can hold my life down. I can, I can make this work. But does it really work? If we slow down and we silence the other noise, do we really have hope? Is our life really at rest? Do we really have peace? See, much like the miry clay that's being described, he lifted me up out of the slimy pit, we try and pick ourselves up end up right back in the mess. But do we hear God in these moments? Are we willing to get rid of the noise, to take off the headphones that constantly drown out the voice of God? We try and pull ourselves out of the mess. Do we slow down? Do we sit still? Do we unplug, quiet ourselves long enough to hear a better song? Not only does the holdup reveal what we trust, it reveals where we look. It reveals where we look. Look again in verse 4. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud. Because again, here's the situation. In trouble and in trials, here's the first place we often look. It's someone else's fault. It's someone else's problem. When things aren't going right, when things aren't going well, always the problems are outside of me. It's someone else's problem. It's someone else's struggle. It's someone else's deal. And yes, we live in a world where there's always things being done to me, but also things being done by me. The troubles we face are always going to be a mixture of both. But we always, if we're not careful, will tend towards thinking that it's always being things done by me and miss what God wants to say to me. And so again, in verse 6, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. In fact, what it's, what it's describing in this text in verse 6 is actually God has to actually dig out our ears. Our ears are so plugged with other things. And in fact, what we're often saying is someone else's fault. And it's like, God's like, do you hear yourself? Do, do you hear yourself? It really Your anger is their fault? Your your lust is their fault? Really? Let let me dig your ears out a little bit more to hear what you're saying. Because we live in a culture, again, that just wants to fill our ears with the noise. You're a victim. It's someone else's fault. We have to recognize that the holdup is doing things in us. And God is saying things to us. Where we look. Certainly there are situations and struggles where we are being mistreated. Where we are being sinned against. Where there is injustice being perpetrated against us. Absolutely. But even in the midst of those things, God still wants to say something to us me, to say something to me, but are my ears so deaf that I'm only looking to outside of myself and miss what God wants to say to me? God needs to refocus us through the holdup to uncover what we trust and where we look and finally, what we want. He uncovers what we want. You see, in the pain and the trouble and the deep wounds and the dark places, again, these are not minimal struggles that, the, that, that, that this author is describing. It's a Psalm of David. And we know, if you know the life of David and he's describing these situations, David has had his own family try to kill him. David is writing many of these Psalms from a cave because he's fearful that his son is going to try and kill him and take his throne. His own army is turning against him and he's forced into desolate, dark places. This is not a man who's unaware of what it means to be oppressed, to be rejected, to be mistreated. And yet, in the midst of this psalm, he has to do the self-reflection, to quiet the other voices, to quiet the noise, to be still and to know who is God. Who is God? Because what we want in these moments, in the pit of destruction, when evil is encompassing us in verse 12, when, when it seems like everything around us is not working out, when it seems like everyone is against us, what we want is vindication. What we want is alleviation. What we want is escape. See, when, when someone mistreats us, in this moment in verse 15, many who say to the who say to me, Aha, we want the we want that aha moment for them. When we get caught in sin, and then they point it out to us, we want them to experience that same aha moment. Right? We want the get we want them to get what we got. We want them, we want to get even. We want vindication. When we've been mistreated, when someone has spoken False, falsely against us, gossip, slandered us. We want them to get what they deserve. We want vindication. We want alleviation. We want escape. We want things to be made right how I see fit. How I see fit. I want them to know how wrong they are. I want them to know how wrong they've been. I want them to know how good I've been. I want them to know how wrong they were about me or about that situation. But God is not about that. Because grace speaks a better word in all of these things. And here's the thing. We, we just don't, It's not just these moments of interpersonal. When it comes to these situations of trouble, what we really want is just escape. I want alleviation. I want out. I want out. I want things to be better now. But we know from what this verse and what this section of Scripture is talking about that he says, he set my feet upon a rock that I can stand with the Lord. But yet, verse 17 says at the end of this text, but as for me, I'm still, I am poor and needy. There's something greater going on than just alleviation, than just escape in this text. The holdup is reminding us that God is about a bigger plan, a better plan than just getting us out of trouble. Than just getting us out of trouble. We want validation. We want escape. But God has a bigger plan. A better plan. See, it's like it's like, rush, it's like rushing to eat. Have you ever had one of those moments where I love Reese's Peanut Butter Cups? Okay? <laughs> like, really, I love too much. Yeah. But, but those moments, you, you ever have these moments where, like, like, what's in peanut butter cups? And, like, I would just blindly, i just go to the store, I'd grab them, and then they get, like, the double, Give the big ones now, like this, the big cups. They're like, more goodness for me, yes, absolutely. But then I'm like, what is in these peanut butter cups? And then I flip over the, the, the packaging, and I'm like, what is PBRF? Like, what is that? That's not even, that's, that's, that's not food. That's something else. But in these moments, right, when we just want things to be made right, we just keep doing the same thing, doing the same thing, doing the same thing, and expect a different result. And we stop and say, dang, is this really making things better? I just keep going back to this well. It's like, why do I feel terrible? Because I'm eating P, B, N, F, whatever that is, and assuming it's going to make me feel better. I don't even know what that is. We, it's That's what insanity is, going to the same thing again and again and assuming a different result, right? So God is about something bigger and deeper. He wants us to see. What is it in the holdup when I'm waiting for the answer? What do I trust? What do I want? What do I need? Where do I look? Am I just going to the same old, same old and expecting a different result? Oh, I'll feel better next time I have this peanut butter cup, I swear. No. It's the same junk going into my body again. God is about a deeper, better agenda than just getting me out of trouble. And if, and if we don't believe that, look at the cross. There was no quick fix for our redemption. I mean, Jesus p- pleads with his father for it to be brief, and it was in consideration to how long crucifixion usually lasted. We know this as you look at the scripture. That soldiers were surprised at how quick he had died when they pierced his side. But make no mistake, he's dying from suffocation. That is not a quick fix for our redemption. So lest we think that God is about quick fixes in our life, don't forget the cross. Because pain often produces things that we would never have chosen, but will be better for on the other side. Pain Produces things that we never would have chosen in the beginning, but produces something better on the other side. For the joy, for the joy. On the other side of the pain, he endured the cross. God is not about quick fixes. And so the holdup reminds us where are those quick fixes? What do I try and settle for instead of God in these moments? What do I want? Where do I look? What do I think I need? And so here's what I want you to do. Just take a moment. What are you waiting on right now? What, what are you waiting on? Maybe it's a job, kids, health, marriage. Maybe you want to get clean. What, what is it you're waiting on right now? And what is God telling you in the waiting? What have you tried already while you've been waiting on the change that you know, if you're honest, you know it's not producing? It's not producing. God wants us to slow down. He wants us to sit still. In the midst of the noise, in the midst of a now culture, he wants us to slow down and sit still and say, what do you really want? and be willing to ask ourselves the tough questions, what am I settling for in the hope of getting better? What am I settling for? And then asking, is it working? Is it working? The holdup helps us uncover more about us. Now how is that hope filled? How is it hope in the holdup if all we're doing is digging up all the dirty junk inside of us, because we won't know where to find hope until we know where we can't find it. We won't know where to find hope until we know where we can't find it. And if we're not slowing down long enough, we're just that crazy person throwing the peanut butter cup in their mouth saying, I know this is going to work this time. I know it's going to work this time. No, it ain't. It's not going to work this time. But we have to slow down. Where am I trying to find hope? And it's not providing. It's not providing. But hope in the holdup, we also learn to discover what he offers. What he offers. The first is he offers stability. He offers stability. We're in the miry pit, we're in the mud, we're in the mess. And verse 2, he sets my feet on a rock. He sets my feet on a rock. Jesus calls himself the rock in the New Testament. On this rock, I will build my church, meaning that through Peter, under Jesus, I will build my church. The rock that becomes the stumbling stone for much of the New Testament church because they think that they have to do things to earn favor with God. And Jesus is saying, no. Nah, It's not about that. It's about trusting me. Remember again, where do we look? Verse 6. We think we have to make ourselves better. We think we have to fix ourselves. We think if I try harder, if I read my Bible more, if I pray more, if I'm at church more, then things will get better. Now, those things bad, no, but those things don't change us. You know, the only thing that changes us from the inside out? Jesus. Because he gives us a new heart. And that means we love different things. We learn to love different things. What he offers is his stability. I'm not swayed by emotion, by thinking that God loves me. He doesn't love me because of how well I'm doing with him. He doesn't love me because I had a really good day and doesn't not love me because I had a really bad day. No, he loves me because I trust in the rock. Jesus the one who has finished the work that I know I'm loved and accepted because when Jesus says it's finished he really means it that everything that I need to be that needs to be done for me to be right with God was accomplished by Jesus Christ nothing else nothing else And so if I'm having a bad day, it's not like God loves me less. And if I'm having a great day, it's not like he loves me more. He can't love me any more or any less than he loves Jesus. And that's how he sees us when we put our trust in the rock. We put our trust in the rock. He offers stability. Because our circumstances are going to change, right? You're in a good space right now. Maybe you come in and you just got a job. Your marriage is doing well. You have good friends. Financially, you're stable. You don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what tomorrow brings. Right? You go for the checkup and the doctor's like, uh, I don't know what that is. We're going to need to take a look at that. You, you, you find out your work's like, we're going to have to do cutbacks and we're not exactly sure who's going to make the cut. You, you, you go to hang out with your friends and find out, oh man, I, I can't afford my rent anymore. I'm going to have to move back to the south. Your circumstances might change. But you know what doesn't change? The rock. We stand on him. He offers stability to say, you can trust me. You can trust me. He puts our feet on a rock because he's not just about changing our circumstances. He's about changing our soul. Our soul. The inside of us so that we can weather whatever storm because we know I'm standing on the one who is over all my circumstances. No matter what happens out there, you know what's happening in here? I'm loved because I'm I'm known and I'm a child of the living God who rules over everything. Changing how I feel in trouble because I know that I'm loved by the one who rules over my trouble. That doesn't mean he's always going to relieve my trouble. That doesn't mean he's always going to fix it in the way I want, how I want, when I want. You know what that does mean, though? He rules over it. He rules over it. And he offers this. Verse 10. He doesn't just offer us quick fixes. He offers us his righteousness. His righteousness. Look Look again. This is what's beautiful about this text is it reminds us of where our hope is found. Verse 10, I do not hide, and these words matter, your righteousness. Your righteousness. He gives us His righteousness. God who is perfect in all of His ways. We just sang it that. Perfect in all of your ways. Perfect in all of your ways. And how does God see me? Perfect in all my ways. Perfect in all my ways. That's how he sees us in Jesus. You are perfect in all of your ways. That's how he sees us. Stability to know that that's how he sees us. and That doesn't change. His saving act. Sacrifices and offerings won't get us there. How well I know my Bible or how much I pray or how much I'm at church or how many Bible studies I go to... That won't change us. You know what will change us? Resting in his righteousness. His righteousness. Because he knows this. Look again. When I think it's someone else's fault, when I look at someone else, thinking about how God sees me and the stability that that gives my soul in view of how he could see me. Verse 12. For my troubles... Without numbers surrounding my sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My sins, more than the hairs of my head. Some of us have more or less, but we all started with around the same. Follicles are still there. They're just not doing their work as well as they used to. But you recognize that's how God could me. And chooses not to. Chooses not to. In fact, instead, he chooses to see you as his righteousness. So I don't need a full head of hair? I don't need a full bank account. I don't need a full Facebook friend. Full full group of Facebook friends. You know what I need? God. And he loves me more than any of those things and will love me more than any of those things. You see, some of us are, if we're honest, we don't want to be still in these moments. We don't want to still, because we're afraid of what we'll hear. We're afraid of what we'll hear. We're afraid we'll hear, but God doesn't really love you. Like, think of all the things that you've done. Look at where you've been. You've done that again. God doesn't really love you. I mean, he loves this person. Certainly, look at this person's works. But you? Ah, I'm not sure he loves you. If we're honest, we don't want to be still because we're afraid of what we'll hear. And this is why we need to remind each other to come together that we don't celebrate our works. We celebrate his. His righteousness given freely to us because Jesus gave up his life for us. So some of us, we don't want to slow down. We don't want to slow down. And in the holdup, we discover he alone offers stability. Secondly, though, what he offers is company. Company. You see, when trouble comes, I don't know if you're like this, but maybe you have those friends. Sometimes I'm that friend, right? No, No, not me. Some, where we just talk about our troubles. And at some point, friends think like, dang, that person has a lot of troubles. And I don't really want to hear about those people's troubles anymore. I'm kind of done hearing about their troubles. God never grows tired of hearing about our troubles. I mean, look at look it again. When it says here, twice in the text, it says, in verse 17 particularly, he takes thought of me. He takes thought of me. No matter what everyone else is doing in life, no matter what else people think of you based on the troubles or the struggles or your past, God always takes thought of you. He's thinking about you. The God of the universe who holds all things together, the one who, if he... Stops for any moment being God. The universe falls apart. He's holding everything in the palm of his hand, making things work the way they do. Thinks about you. Thinks about you. So whenever you're facing, whatever your struggle is, whatever you're waiting on, whatever you think needs to change, if you think no one else cares, no one else knows, no one else sees, God he cares about you. He wants to be with you. He takes thought of you. He promises to meet us in our trouble. In the silence, we can feel like everyone has lost sight of us. Like no one seems to see the struggles and the troubles that I'm going through. No one seems to know. Where am I? I feel like no one is with me in this. You know what? God takes thought of you. Takes thought of you. He promises to never withhold his mercy. Verse 11. Never withhold his mercy. Promises to never withhold. To meet you in your troubles. Your troubles, my struggles, my sin are never, ever, ever a strike against us entering God's presence because of Jesus. They're the reason to. Enter his presence. He promises to never withhold his mercy. He promises his company. And lastly, just quickly, he promises this justice. He promises justice. You see, in verse 10, when it says his righteousness, that word literally means justice, righteousness. They're interchangeable in the Old and New Testament. So, when we think that we know how things ought to work and we want things to go the way we want, we're glad they don't because God has given Jesus what we deserved and giving us what we don't deserve. But we also know that God promises to set things straight. To set things straight. When people are laughing at us, when people are assuming things about us, aha, You, I knew it. You fell off the wagon again. I knew you would. I knew you would. God promises to make all things right. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. He can and does use the hardest things to bring about the greatest good. He promises to set things straight and make things right. When no one else understands, he does. When no one else sees, he does. When others make assumptions, he won't. He knows the whole story. He promises to make things right in his time. And so what is God teaching us about himself in the midst of the waiting? In the holdup, what's he teaching us about himself? Verse five says, many, my Lord, Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned. These are just a few of the things, just a few, right? So we need to stop and slow down saying, in the holdup, what is God teaching me about him? What are things I would not have known about God to be true had he given me what I wanted earlier? Had he just gotten me out of this trouble? What are things I appreciate about who God is because He's not giving me what I want right now? We can't learn those lessons when He gives us what we want right away. And lastly, quickly, I just want—I would—we I would, have to look at this text with the rec- recognition of this one. The hold-up reminds us, it uncovers what we want, who we are. Second, the hold-up, we discover who God is and what he offers. And lastly, we recover his mission. We recover his mission. Again and again in this text, what it says is, I will continue to declare God's goodness, his faithfulness, his love, his patience, his joy... Look again, verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth. Verse 10, I do not hide your righteousness. I speak of your faithfulness. You see, when we know where hope is found, we will share that with others. Because we know that our troubles are not the end of the story. God promises in verse 7 to finish what he started. Your, my life is written in your scroll. You promised to finish what you started. And so if I'm not defined by my troubles, I don't need to live worried about my troubles. I can live aware of how God is working and caring and loving and leading and empowering and changing me. And I can share that with others. I can share with others. I'm not hiding your righteousness. I'm not keeping it to myself. When I slow down and listen, I find rest and joy and stability in obedience so then I can take that out and want to share it with others. You see, when we're so consumed with our troubles and we don't know where hope is found, it's like we're walking around with our heads down all the time. Our heads down. And what happens when your head's down all the time? You're bumping into things and you're bumping into people, right? Now, the distraction, remember I said it's the phone, right? The noise, We're so consumed with self, what we need to be done, and we're bouncing into things and bumping into people all over the place. God wants us to look up. And when we look up, we can look out and see the others that we can offer hope to, to see that his righteousness and his love is worth sharing because we know where hope is found. See, the holdup reminds us, I am on a mission This mission isn't about my will and my desires. It's about God's plan. God's plan. And God's plan is that he mysteriously and graciously promises to make all things right in my life, in this world, for his glory, for my good, and invites me into that part of the plan of sharing his goodness. To believe, as it says in verse 7 and verse 8, I desire to do your will. Your will by saying, Not my will. My will is what makes the mess. Your will is what brings the hope. My will is what makes things broken. Your will is what makes things whole. I desire to do and to share your will. And so we have to be okay with slowing down, with sitting still to know what it is that God wants to say to us about us in the midst of that holdup, that prayer that has not been answered yet, that situation that has not changed. What is he teaching me about me? But what is he teaching me about him? And what is he inviting me to share? Patience is built in trouble. It's built in trouble. There's, There's no way around it. Character formation can't be rushed. But the result of God's plan in the midst of the holdup, the results are far better than anything we could have asked or imagined because they transcend circumstances and they go on to eternity. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for just some time to still ourselves and to remember that you are God. We are not but you are good. And we know that you promise to do good because you gave us Jesus. And the most painful moment in all of human history, the perfect righteous Son of God slain for all sin brings about the redemption of humanity. So we know, Father, that even in great pain, you can bring about great good. And that includes our waiting. And so, Father, I pray that, again, beyond anything I've shared, that, that your word would sink deep into the hearts of your people to encourage, to remind, to instruct, and to help in the waiting and the listening. And that you'd produce fruit in us through the waiting that would bear much good in our lives and the good of those around us for the good of Recovery House, and for the good of our city. We pray this all in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.